Welcome to Vibe Talk Awaken. I'm your host, Vibe Queen. On the show, we will get to know artists, entrepreneurs, and coaches living life in their truth after experiencing an awakening. We'll talk about their journey, wisdom, and any tools they've learned along their path. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to another episode of Vibe Talk Awaken. I am your host, Vibe Queen. I'm very excited to have this week's guest, Ryan J. Burton. Before we get into the episode, for those of you listening, if you are curious about starting your own podcast, but you don't know where to begin, but you think a podcast would help build trust with your audience, definitely shoot me an email. You can send me an email over to info at Vibe Queen Music. We can help you uh, get started. We actually have systems in place and get you started from nothing all the way up to up and running, get your reviews and get you launched and all of that good stuff. So let's get to know Ryan J. Burton. So Ryan is a meditation practitioner with over a decade of experience in a variety of Buddhist and non-dual traditions. In his early 20s, he traveled throughout Southeast Asia and China seeking spiritual knowledge. He's practiced in nearly 30 meditation retreats and trainings ranging from 10 days to eight months. He's delivered lectures on meditation and spirituality in the U.S., Nepal, and Thailand. So welcome. How are you feeling? Great, great. I'm excited to I'm excited uh, as well. do, the, do this interview. I know this is going to be a lot of fun and I love sharing meditation and I'm sure your, your audience will definitely enjoy the ups and downs of, of the spiritual journey. Yeah, looking for, this is going to be great. Can you share with us just a little bit about your spiritual awakening and what that was like for you? It's funny when you, when people always read my bio or they introduce me to an audience and I, I give a speech or something and they say, oh, you know, this guy's meditated for 10 years and did this and did that. It's interesting because I, I did all those things and I lived through all that, but I don't identify with any of it anymore. And I think that's been the large, like the major demarcation line for me in the recent year. There's many different kinds of awakenings, right? Like when we discover the truth about the world or things that we didn't know about ourselves or about other people or about society, that shift in our perception and that awakening to a new kind of knowledge, it's so different from the way that we used to live. We call that an awakening. It's like you used to be a certain way and then suddenly a shift happens, a perceptual change happens and you're, you've woken up into a new reality. You don't see yourself and you don't see the world as the same anymore. So that happens to people in many different ways, but the kind of awakening that I'm specifically referring to is spiritual awakening. So what do I mean by that? I mean that at some point in your life, you start doing yoga and meditation. Maybe you've been doing yoga for a few years. You've done some meditation retreats. You've taken some frog venom. You've done some juice cleanses and water fasts, and you're still new in that whole process. At the beginning, you still very much feel like a person in time. Mm -hmm. You feel like you're a person in time on a journey. There's a specific destination and you're going through that. And the destination is something you don't know what it is, but you're going towards it. At some point that notion, that concept that you're a person in time, that you are your name, that you are your body, that you are your thoughts, that you're this or you're that, that vanishes. And when that happens, path and reality changes in a way that is indescribable. Mm 
That's what I mean by spiritual awakening. You're awakening to your true nature. You're awakening to the truth about your incarnation, about your life, about phenomena. And everything that you used to hold so tightly as real, yourself and your wants and your desires and your dreams and your goals and all of that stuff. It's like before awakening, all of that is 150% real. Your entire life revolves around it. That's all that everyone's doing. Everyone in this world is just fulfilling and following desires. That's literally what this world is. Mm -hmm. And what spiritual awakening or what awakening does is that mode of existing, that way of functioning in space-time, that process of identification is shattered. And what's left is a, is a consciousness that is very different from what was previously experienced. So I don't consider myself an enlightened person. I've, I, I have masters, I learned from them and I study with them and I've spent time with them. And they're very, I would say far more developed than myself. A lot more has unfolded for them, but I am able to speak from a specific place of, of understanding with the training that I've undergone and the things that have unfolded. So I talk from that point of view, but I don't claim to be enlightened or anything of that sort. I'll just tell you what has happened to me and what has arisen in my experience. And you can take that or leave that, but you can believe that or not. It doesn't make a difference to me. So the way that I teach and the way that I share information and these stories is that I actually encourage doubt. I don't want you to believe what comes out of my mouth. I don't necessarily want you to, you know, put aside your thinking and accept something that doesn't necessarily make sense to you. What if it doesn't make sense to you, that's fine. It doesn't make a difference to me. There's going to be a lot of things that I'm going to share in this episode that, that a lot of people here won't be able to wrap their heads around or won't be able to accept as possible, true, or as reality. And that's completely fine. You don't have to accept it. The main thing is I'm just transmitting a story. I'm transmitting some, like some information, some gems that can help untie those knots in your path. They can help you unfold in a way. Yeah. If we're going to get into the story of my life, how things started was I was a youth born in Los Angeles, California. I'm half Thai. My dad's from Iowa. So my mother's from Thailand. And just to touch on this briefly. Yeah. I grew up in a very, yeah, let's say complicated childhood. <laughs> My uh, mother and father were very loving people. They were, they were fantastic. They, they raised me well and they loved my sister and I incredibly. My dad had a drug issue. So even though he was a very high functioning professional, he had this problem behind, behind closed doors. And that really made me a very, an extremely angry teenager, really angry. And that started to cause problems in high school and outside of school. I, I got in trouble with, with the law a few times and yeah, at one point, I think I must've been 16 or 17. My mom saw a commercial on Thai TV with the Dhammakaya temple and 
she was like, yeah, let's go to this meditation retreat. I've always been like a philosophical kind of person. I love philosophy. I love an Asian philosophy and that sort of thing. So I was open to it and I went and yeah, I just couldn't, my mind wouldn't stop, would not stop. It was so, God, just so much distraction. It was three days. I was, I was with all these monks and I'd grown up around monks as a kid at the Thai temple, but I didn't really have a, a personal connection with Buddhism or spirituality at all. I was more or less an atheist. I think I believed in the things that are beyond this world, but there was no sense of spirituality really. So I go on this meditation retreat, right? And meditating first day, nothing happens, just frustrated. Second day, nothing happens, just frustrated. Third day, nothing happens, just frustrated. And at some point, I think it was in the evening meditation on the third day, I was just sitting there and then suddenly my consciousness was at one point in the chair meditating and then it was all of a sudden somewhere else and I seemed to be floating really high up into the air and there was this light and that was what I would consider the first mystical experience of my life. I didn't really I had some sense of the body. I wasn't completely blown out, but mostly my awareness was, it was up there in this other place. And when I had that experience with that light, I just, it opened my mind up to a whole nother reality and a whole nother way of living. And that was the beginning of the spiritual journey for me. That was the beginning of learning meditation and starting to explore that. Yeah. After that, things in my life changed pretty radically. I stopped getting into trouble. <laughs> I stopped hanging out with the wrong crowd. <laughs> I stopped illicit and illegal activities. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I gave all that up because what, what happened was that spiritual, that mystical experience, you could call that spiritual awakening. A lot of people do call that spiritual awakening. And at the time I called it spiritual awakening, but I would more describe it as a as a mystical experience because it was an experience that happened and, and it caused specific changes in my life, but it wasn't a qualitatively different ongoing state of being and functioning, which is what I define spiritual awakening as now, at least in, in my life. So this was a mystical experience, totally changed the way that I saw things open, open so many doors. And um, yeah, I think like within a year or something. I found some guy on YouTube talking about lucid dreaming and at the time spirituality and meditation was like, you could just make YouTube videos on YouTube and tons of people would see it. And I went, I got on a bike and I went to go meet him and he started a YouTube channel for me and yeah, I was off to the races. That was the beginning of, uh, of the journey for me. Wow. That's so interesting for a while there, I was asking you questions in my mind and you just kept answering them. It's very interesting. I was like, is, is, when is he going to stop talking? And then I stopped asking a question and then you stopped talking. So I feel like very in sync. It's very interesting what's happening right now. It's awesome. very, very funny. So, so you made a YouTube channel, you met with this person. It seems like you were a very uh, action oriented person. You just kept going, which is a very interesting, interesting thing. And so I guess my next question for you, especially because I had the same belief system was pretty much more or less an atheist. And then for me, it was a book. I, I listened to a book. Uh, I remember I was getting my nails done at a nail salon. And I literally was thinking to myself, why am I putting plastic on my fingernails? This is stupid, literally. 
And then I never got my nails done again after that. I was getting my nails done, wow. acrylic nails, since I was 16 years old. I don't even know how many thousands of dollars I must have wasted on putting plastic on my nails. And I was, was literally like, why am I doing this? This is stupid. And I never did it again. Crazy. I don't know where that, that came from. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. <laughs> so crazy. Just realized that now. So I guess my next question for you is for those that are on a spiritual awakening journey, now that you have a new sense of unfolding and awakening, and I'm very much in, in that position now, and I like laugh, okay, I thought that was awakening. That was nothing. But in a sense, it's I'm probably going to look at this and think, oh, that was awakening. That was nothing, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, so what do you say to those that are experiencing an, an awakening and maybe feel, quote unquote, awake? And they're, they're not in essence, because now I almost feel for myself, like I'm conscious of the fact that there's still more to go. Like I'm, I'm in this weird state. So what would you say to someone that's going through it and maybe feels a little bit like I'm woke if only they knew, because sometimes that I'm seeing a lot of that right now. And it's almost, it's almost like I have the social justice warriors. And then you also have the spiritual patriots. We're yeah. almost on the complete opposite coin and we're both fighting this war. Yeah. But in a way, we're still in a negative frequency. Totally. And I found that I'm I was in that trap. So even though I had good intentions, in a weird way, I'm still in a negative frequency. And so now I'm in this weird like observation where I'm seeing this happening in the spiritual community. So what would you say to people that are in this like almost ego battle of wokeness. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, no, like, I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can go through that. Insights in that, on that? I, we all go through that. Yeah. I think there's this innate human quality, innate human program called evangelism. It's just whatever you're into, you just want to share it with other people and you want them to get on, on the same train that you're on. That's normal. Religions have been doing it for a long time. Now religion at least for modern people growing up these days, it's not, there's not as much rigid religious structure as there used to be. So people are, they, we still have this evangelist program, which just has to be manifested through different things. Like if you're evangel you're an evangelist about veganism. You're an evangelist about being a, being like the carnivore diet. You're an evangelist about keto. You're an evangelist about yoga. You're an evangelist about this. <laughs> and that's what's happening is, when we have a spiritual awakening, I would describe it like this. Let's say at the beginning of your journey, you're like a hundred percent ego, pretty much, right? You're totally identified with time, totally identified with your body, totally identified with your stories, totally identified with the things you believe. hundred percent you're an ego. So what happens is you have some awakening, some perceptual shift, spiritual practice or otherwise it can just happen spontaneously. And suddenly you have 80% ego and 20% something else, 20% awakened consciousness, ground consciousness, source consciousness, whatever you want to call it, realized awakened mind. And what happens is that with that 20%, a lot of your perception, a lot of your life begins to change, but you still have the 80% <laughs> of the programs running. You still have the 80% of the ego that's intact. So a lot of that 20% that's the spiritual dimension, that's the true uh, essence of what we are is processed through the ego. So you get these spiritual experiences and you have these spiritual ideas and 
then you have the ego and basically the programs in the mind start to work and function around that. And that's how you get this kind of spiritual evangelism, this certainty that a lot of spiritual people have, like they don't really know, but they act like they really know, but a lot of this stuff is still beliefs. So there's certain traps that we could fall into as people that are waking up and as people that are on the path. And yeah, of course, the thing too is we're really convinced that what we think is right. We're really convinced that what we believe is the truth. And if we're absolutely convinced of what we believe, we think it's the best for other people. So there's a natural tendency to want to share that with other people. And I think a lot of this comes with, comes from a place of good intentions. But it also, a lot of it also comes from a place of ego in the sense of, oh, I'm more awakened than you. You're not a vegetarian. You don't understand. You, you're not into uh, red pilling, into truthing. You don't understand. There's a lot that just gets mixed in with our constructs. And unfortunately, what I found is that it just creates further division. And it just increases the hold of ego, the hold of individuality and, and division in our lives. And yeah, essentially we just think we're right and we want other people to agree with us and we want other people to be on board. There's some kind of evangelist program in the subconscious, in my opinion, and tons of this in spirituality. I mean, like my teacher is better than your teacher. My master is better than your master. My path is the only path. All paths are below this one. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And so the point is all of that is coming all of that is really coming still from a place of duality. We still have a sense that we're separate individuals and that the path that we're on is the most special and it's the best way up the mountain. And that really changes when you don't see yourself as a person on the path anymore. And you see yourself as no longer separate from the path, from the mountain and from the other people that are on it. When you get to that level or when, you, when that unfolds and you're in that understanding, that evangelism really falls away. Because you really see that people just got to go through what they have to go through. Like their evangelism is a part of their unfolding. And oftentimes there's, there has to be discernment. Like when I have students, I just, or when I, even when I meet with people and they try to, you know, change my opinion on something, it's okay. That's totally fine. I don't, don't personally, it doesn't bother me. So it's all good. It's a part of, it's a part of a person's journey. It's a part of a person's unfolding. And many times as I've heard you say, don't take things personally. Right. The common denominator I see amongst all of it is that it's all coming from judgment. Yeah. Great point. And so Absolutely. for me, once, once I recognized that it all became clear to me is that the moment I come from judgment, I'm an ego. And so for me, that's very quick to identify. And so whenever I come from judgment, I'm an ego. Yep. And so whenever I find myself doing that, for me now, my brain is, oh, you're an ego immediately. And I catch myself doing it all the time, obviously. I'm still going through it. But then because I now have been able to, to make that link, I'm able to step out of it quicker and recover quicker. And yep. the more you practice that, the more you become aware. And the more you realize that this is, in fact, a game and you can laugh at things and you become less triggered. So, for example, I saw a post today on Parler. And it said, Mayor de Blasio in New York says, the way to beat racism is by redistributing wealth. Today. This is what he said today. Yeah, and sure. literally, I, I, I know that a month ago, I would have been angry. 
I would have yeah. gotten triggered and I would have been like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that's socialism, blah, 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 blah. And I would have gotten all upset. Right. Now I'm laughing. I'm just like, wow, this is hilarious because it's just, it's the perfect setup. All of the things that I've been researching, it's playing out. And so now instead of becoming triggered, I can just share what I've learned and people can either take it or leave it. It, it just, I just, I have no, I don't really have an attachment to it either way. And so what I'm finding is that because we can't control the outside circumstances and because there's literally two realities happening, and I know our conversation is going to get probably very esoteric, but sure. even if you're not a believer of the paranormal, and for those listening to this podcast, you probably are into it, but let's just say, just for jokes, you're not. Even if you just look at it from a logical perspective, there are very much two realities going on. And that's what I took away from that uh, documentary, the Samadhi documentary, because they said, you have people that are diehard fans of, you know, President Trump. And then yeah. you have people that literally rather our country go down if it meant President Trump would be arrested or killed. Exactly. Yeah. So you literally do have two realities going on. You could put two people in the room and they are having two completely different experiences. Yep. Even from a logical perspective, take away the paranormal esoteric stuff. There are two realities. There are two timelines happening. One, they're living in a fear mindset. I need to get the vaccine. I need to do this. And another is, it has a completely different mindset. And so it's just very interesting that with all of that being said, it's what you choose to subscribe to. And so I would love to get your feedback on that and how you navigate that, especially as uh, a person who has had an even deeper unfolding, like how do you navigate that when you see things that you maybe not agree with? Do you still get triggered? How do you handle that? Um, <laughs> this is the I thing. Know, that was uh, a long question. No, it's, it's not. I think, of course, it's obvious that there's a massive cultural divide in, in our country and beginning to grow all over the world. It seems there's really starting to be too... The, this, this division, this duality between socialism and capitalism is beginning to grow. And of course, there's a whole, there's a whole cultural divide that is being drawn along those two lines. And it's interesting in the spiritual community and people that are very awakened, they still have very different political orientations. Even in the spiritual community, you have people that are very liberal and you have people that are more conservative leaning. And they're just as awakened. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just, they meditate just as much as the other side does. And they just have differences of opinion on things. This is a relative dimension. I remember talking with a, a Dzogchen teacher, Nam Kai Norbu, and I, there was a situation that happened in Thailand where a military coup happened and the prime minister was removed from office and the military stepped in and they took control of the government. And it wasn't like guns were blazing and all that sort of thing, but definitely the military stepped in and subjugated parliament, removed the prime minister through force without killing people. But it was still a really crazy time in Thailand and a lot of senior monks were arrested and they particularly went after my temple soon after that. And I remember just flying over to the country and I was telling everyone about it on social media. And that was, that was the thing to do at the time. And I remember I messaged Nanarbu. I said, hey, there's this situation in Thailand and I explained the whole thing and he said, and he explained, thank you for letting me know about the situation in Thailand. And his next sentence was, these conflicts always happen in samsara. And it just hit me so hard in that moment when he said that, it's like, these conflicts always happen 
in samsara. So for those of you that don't know, samsara is a relative dimension. It's a cycle of existence. It's our world. It's all worlds are in samsara. And there's all kinds of conflicts that happen, challenges that happen in this dimension. And him being in that non-dual place and that state of realization, a lot of people would say, where's your, you know, your compassion? How can you see it from that far away? Yeah. And it, it, it reminds me of the same thing. It reminds me of a Ramana Maharshi quote as well in his book talks. This Westerner was asking him, the world is, there's famine and poverty and there's so many awful things happening in the world. How are you not concerned about them? How are you just able to sit here in this cave, chopping fruits and vegetables, talking to people and answering their questions about spirituality? What use do you have? And his response was basically, there's no difference between myself and the world. I don't see myself as, as separate from the world. The world is within the heart of the self and we are all within the heart of the self. So he was really coming from this place of no division. And then he talked about how the awakening of the spiritual elevation of a person, the evolution of a person, the enlightenment of a person, it's like a massive influx. It's a massive anchor of high, super high frequency energy that leads to, that contributes to the collective field of consciousness. The more awakened people there are, the more positivity there is in the world and the more awareness there is, the greater worthiness there is for humankind to receive higher spiritual teachings and for humankind to actually evolve and, and awaken in mass. And it's reflected now more than it is ever today. Sure, there's a lot of conflict that's happening. Yes, there's a serious cultural divide in the United States and in a lot of countries. There's all kinds of crazy stuff happening. There's this election. One side thinks they're absolutely right. The other side thinks they're absolutely right. You and I obviously were on the more conservative side of this. We think that we've been cheated. They think they've been cheated. It's this whole dualism. It's all going to get, it's going to get worked out and things will go, things will go according to the plan that they're going to go according to. But the point is that none of that is separate from you. The enemies that you chastise, the people that you judge. They're not separate from you. This is all the interconnected field that is manifestation, that is our reality. And when we begin to awaken, we are we really see the inseparability of all things and all life in the field. So even though we have our specific political inclinations, even though we have our specific opinions, those opinions and inclinations are not the predominance in our experience anymore. They're not the predominance in our consciousness anymore. So we still have what we believe to be true. We still have the things that we agree with. We still have the general idea of the direction we think society should move in, but there's this entire background reality. There's this entire greater reality that is now the predominance of your experience. So you see all of those things, all of these conflicts and all of these trials and all these events that happen in people's lives, even in your own life from a very different vantage point from that awakened point of view. But Obviously, there are more people practicing meditation, yoga, and having an awakening now than there ever have been in history. It's everywhere. Like meditation and mindfulness has pretty much been accepted into Western culture. That will continue. I'm a little worried about that kind of being catered from the left side of the political aisle and used to indoctrinate people. That's a concern that I have. But in general, these are really good tools for people. And even if they only get a watered down version of mindfulness that can be the seed for further awakening later.
That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, it doesn't even matter if it's just uh, a drop because the power of meditation and mindfulness, even if the left tries to repackage it, the key with going within and meditation is you can't really manipulate that because meditation is sitting and being still with yourself. You really can't change that unless it's maybe guided meditation and frequencies. That's a whole nother topic. But if you're just meditating in silence, you can't manipulate that. It's just you in silence. You know what I mean? I think just having that tool and that becoming a, a talked about topic is a beautiful thing because I know it wasn't in my life in my twenties. So I think it's, I think it's awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I wanted to say one final point before we move on to that, move on from this is that this intense dualism that is being experienced in our culture and in all kinds of cultures all over the world, this, this division that's happening between left and right, or even racial division, you don't know how powerful that hatred is. You don't know the effects of that negativity. You don't know what that hatred is giving birth to in this world. Everything is connected. Everything is a reflection. Things are reflections of consciousness and the environment affects consciousness and vice versa. Everything is relationship. So I remember I have my friend Ricardo, him and I have been practicing meditation for 10 years. We've been on this journey together since the beginning. And he has a specific teacher named Master John Douglas. And there's a notion in some spiritual communities that you can go on the astral plane and like battle magicians from the other side or whatever. And there's like your magic versus their magic. And that's just where we were at the time. And so John, and so Ricardo goes to, has a session with John and he says, John, yeah, I really want to help battle this dark side that is manifesting in our world, this spiritual, this, this spiritual black lodge. And John's response was that hatred in your heart feeds them that hatred in your heart makes them stronger wow that hatred fuels the darkness so all these people that are working for the light that are exposing that on both sides that are right you know they are pushing their truth and sharing their truth and spreading their truth if you're so, doing so it negative. from a place of hatred <laughs> that's exactly what they want that's exactly what they want. If I was a demon, if I was a negative entity, if I was a very intelligent person in an architect, basically in this society, and I wanted to create chaos, this is exactly what I'd be doing. I'd be dividing people. I'd be making them, I'd be making, I'd be pushing them into specific camps and I'd be making those camps go at each other's throats. And that, and the energy that is created from that me as a negative spiritual being, that, that's what I thrive off of. I live for that. That's my whole dharma as a negative person, as a negative being. So you got to be careful about where your truth is coming from, even if it's truth, even if it's light, even if it is the revealing. Is it coming from, is it really coming from a place of love? Is it really coming from a place of light? If it is, if you're doing the revealing and you're sharing the knowledge and you're spreading the truth and you're doing it from a place of the heart, then it's beneficial. And even you could even say if it's coming from a place of division, that there's still a benefit. But my point was that that hatred and that division and that us and them that you're cultivating in yourself, that affects the field. Such a good point. Yep. That's a, it's a very good point. And it's a easy one to miss. Oh, very absolutely. easy one to miss because you can get so caught up with trying to make people aware of what's happening that you get stuck there 
and you forget the point of, okay, make people aware of what's happening, but now let's focus on the solution. And so I myself was very much there, but I think that's part of the journey as well. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to see it the is. truth in order to believe it. And I know for me, that was very much true. I definitely was always into conspiracy theories and all of that, but they were definitely more, some of them I felt were very real. And that's because of my own personal experiences, but some yeah. of them were definitely more just fun. Oh yeah, moon landing was fake, whatever, but they didn't affect me. So I was just like, those are just like fun. Those are just things you look at for fun, entertainment. So now, until now I'm like, wait, this is actually all happening. Maybe I should look into this. And so I think once I was going down the rabbit hole, I almost felt a sense of civic duty. Okay. I I'm home. I'm stuck. I can write somewhat decent. I, sh I guess I should put a blog together. I'm not a warrior. So I need, what can I do? So I think there was this, like you said, an evangelist, this, this sense of like duty of sharing with the world, what I found, like the documentaries we've seen you know, out of shadows, fall of cabal. It's okay. I want to contribute too. And so yeah. I think it definitely can come from a good place, but not staying stuck there and take the information. And this is what I'm saying. I'm not encouraging people to not look at it and not educate themselves but don't let it consume you. And I think sometimes when you let it consume you, and I know I would love to talk about lack of better words, drugs and drug usage and how that can affect you. If you are consuming this type of information and you're doing that as well, you could really, you could stay stuck there. So I think that would be a good segue. Can we talk about that? Like using hallucinogens and things like that, and maybe how that affects your auric field and all of that stuff. What is your experience with that? Yeah, the thing about hallucinogens and psychedelics is that in my youth and when I was you know, 15, 16, 17, I did have experiences with those. And the thing about them is the way that we tend to use them today is really not in the sacred way they were used previously, unless you really go to Peru and you do the fasting and you do that whole experience. The thing I'd like to say is I know people who have been healed through ayahuasca. I know people who have had breakthroughs and have had understandings and insights and healings, massive healings through, through these different plant medicines, but my personal take on it and not to discount what they've been through, not to discount, um, the benefit that people have gotten from this, because I know Ibogaine is a psychedelic and it is really effective for getting people off heroin and off of major drugs. So, you know, a lot of people have had incredible experiences with these things. My personal take on it is that if you're not, there's so much psychological instability that can happen from these things. It doesn't mean that's what's going to happen, but it means that it can happen. Like, why is it that when people take a psychedelic that suddenly they have levels of perception that they, they, that they didn't have before? A lot of people describe, for example, being able to hear another person's thoughts on mushrooms, being able to see spirits being able to do this or that, just levels of perception that they don't normally have access to. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that when a person takes a psychedelic, for example, you have this forehead energy center called the forehead chakra. If you look at different Buddhist statues and Hindu statues, you'll often see an eye that's right in the center of the forehead. This is the spiritual eye. So when a person, and that's an energy center, imagine like a wheel pretty much, or a vortex of energy that moves in one direction, a vortex of energy that moves in another direction. The, the, the movement of this creates the illusion of a flower. 
that's why they're described as flowers in the Sanskrit text, but they're actually just energy vortexes. So when you take a psychedelic, your forehead chakra goes from this to this. And suddenly mm -hmm. it's functioning at a higher level and you're able to perceive things that you wouldn't normally able to perceive, have insights and experiences that you wouldn't ordinarily have. And of course there's chemicals and things that are happening in the brain that, that are totally related to that. But the issue is that, for example, that expansion can happen so quickly that there's literally tears in the fabric of the chakra, there's tears in the fabric of the energy vortex. And when those tears happen, external influences from the astral plane can begin to lodge themselves into your energy centers and attach themselves to you. And that's when a kind of psychological instability can begin to happen. Or there's experiences that some people have that like after the psychedelic, they were able to see spirits and then they have this issue and they need to go find a master to shut it down. Like no one talks about that, but it happens. So I get it. Like DMT spirit molecule, fantastic movie. Graham Hancock did his Ted talk, went to ayahuasca, had these incredible experiences. It happens. I get it. But I don't, I personally don't see it as a tool for long-term spiritual development because it doesn't necessarily lead to the kind of awakening that I was describing at the beginning of this episode. It doesn't lead to a qualitatively different state of functioning. It doesn't lead to a qualitatively different state of being in my experience, in my opinion. That's just what I'm saying. Other people can believe differently and do experience that differently. But that's my point and take on it. Yeah, because people ask me all the time, they ask me, Ryan, yeah, you meditated for so long. Come on, let's go do a journey. You know, let's go to Peru and whatever. And I'm just like, I have no interest in any of that anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, don't get me wrong, it, it helps a lot of people, but even with marijuana, it's even with marijuana, the guru that I, the master that, one of the masters that I learned from, Namkai Nurbu, he said, the reason a person is more creative mm -hmm. when they smoke weed is because the chakras actually temporarily expand. One of the negative side effects is that they can contract to a degree that's that's less than it was before you got high. So then you end up being in the state where it's like, oh, I need to get high to be creative. I'm not creative without the substance. I'm not relaxed without the substance. So mm -hmm. that's one thing. The other, the final thing that I wanted to mention was even with weed, I maybe this could even be the case with microdosing. I don't know. But what can happen is that those, there's specific entities and specific forces that, specific energies too, that attach themselves to these drugs. So when a person uses them and consumes them, it's a way for the entity, it's a way for a specific energy or force to get fed. So let's say a person um, starts doing cocaine. There's actually energies and entities on the astral plane that see that as an opening and they will begin to feed your thoughts and they will begin to transmit thoughts to you that you perceive as your own impulses that you perceive as your own that make you want to keep doing coke and it's because those parasitic entities actually feed off of the energy that's generated when you use that drug and those entities will start wow. to run will start to run your show those energies will start to run your show that's an issue like people think that addiction is just chemical it's a spiritual thing too there's more to it there's forces that want you to stay addicted that's a problem that's a problem you wow. think a lot of, uh, with a lot of these substances and don't get like i said they help a lot of people they're great in many circumstances but for a lot of people 
it can really end up being a dark path. It can really lead you down into places that you can't get out of. I, I know people who lost it on acid. I really do. Like I, I have a, I, I used to hang out with people like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a slippery slope. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think the whole, I have respect for the lineage. I have respect for the tradition. I have respect for going to Peru and doing this and exploring that and meeting the mother ayahuasca and healing. I have respect for all of that, but there is a dark side to this stuff and there are things that can go wrong. And there are entities, there are energies, there are forces just waiting for you to open up. Mm-hmm. Really. So how do you explain people that are able to just stop on their own? Or do you feel that those energies or entities are always waiting? Or do we attract those energies or entities? Or does it not matter? Is there any karma attached to that? Or is it just anyone who's doing this? Can you explain like the rules or circumstance attached to that? I think there's a lot more to it than I personally understand and that I, and more than, than I'm personally able to see, but you know, what, what applies to one person may not necessarily apply to another. So that's a caveat here too. You know, Mer- the, the substance may actually be, if it's not particularly harmful, it may actually be right for that person. It may actually be the thing that is karmically set for them. And it may lead to healing that is absolutely beneficial and completely changes their lives. So there's that thing to consider, but what, but basically the point I'm trying to make is those, any substance will directly influence the energy body. It's a shift in the energy and it's a shift in consciousness that is immediately reflected in the energy body. And there are certain energies that will then be produced by using that substance that are attractive and that are enticing to the entities, spirits, energies, forces that are connected to that particular substance or that are even just in the area that you're in. For example, if you go into a house where there's continuous drug drug use, crystal meth, crack, major Mm -hmm. hard drugs, Mm -hmm. not only are there... Not, it's possible that there's even entities connected to the drugs themselves, but just in that environment, mm-hmm. there is a negative energy field and there's entities that pass mm-hmm. and that exist in that negative energy field and they feed off of the drug use. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah, so, so, so let's say you're in a, you're in a room with some people and they're all doing cocaine and you don't have any impulse to do cocaine. You've never done cocaine in your life. And you go in, you walk in, and you're like, yeah, I would never. Yeah, we're just coming here to pick up Chris, and we're going to leave. And that's it. Chris has Chris does coke every now and then. It's not a thing for me. You sit down with the guys. You sit down with the, this group of people. And then they're like, hey, man, do you want some? Do you want to try some? And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then you're hanging out for another, like, 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And then suddenly you feel this little impulse, this little change in your awareness and you start to feel a little curious about it, even though you had no inclination for it ever previously. And then the guy asks again, hey, do you want to try some? You're seeing this at one level of reality, which is the physical. What you're not seeing is that there's a co- there's an entity that's related to that specific substance. He's telling the guy, tell him to try some. Sending you thought, and, he's sending the, and he's sending you thought forms to be open to it. He's okay. I'll send this thought form to this guy. I'll send this thought form to that guy. He's going to entice that guy. And then he's going to start using Coke. And then I will get my energy. I will get my energy fixed from his use. And possibly if the karma is right, or maybe if the circumstances are correct, I can follow him home or he can start to develop this problem and we can feed off him further. You don't know the extent of the spiritual dimension, how many passerby deceased entities, spirits, parasites are in the astral plane you don't know because it's not wow. on this 
it's not on this level of frequency. It's not physical. So something as simple as that being in a room, there's so much that's happening on so many levels, like even on a higher level, like higher than the level I just described, what could be happening is that a karma, a karmic seed is coming to fruition. Let's say, for example, in a past life, you enticed a person to drink poison and it killed them. And in this life, your retribution for that is to become a Coke addict and for it to kill you slowly, just like the poison that you poisoned that guy with in the past life slowly killed him. Except now it's worse. Now it's going to take you six months to die instead of that guy dying in six minutes. Cause that's cause karma is complex. It's unfathomable how these things could happen. So on one level, there's guys in a room doing drugs on another level, there's entities telling people what to do and on a higher level. There's your karma coming to fruition for something that you did in another existence that you don't even know about. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. There's levels to this. <laughs> there's, level, there's levels to this. Exactly. Multidimensional awareness, multidimensional functioning. Everyone oh thinks that there's just this body and there's just this mind, but there's layers. So. Right. It puts a lot into perspective and that's why I just go back to judgment. That's why I just, I've taken that out of the equation because all of the, when you look at all of the horrific things in this world, that's such a great example. It's almost as bad as some things that happen in this world. Look, you just mentioned a great example of karma. What happened? What did they do in the past life? You know, and again, or, or, not, or earlier in this life, you it, know? exactly. So it's just, yeah. And again, for those of you listening, and that's, if you subscribe to all of this, some yeah, of you, you don't have to believe any of this, like, you two are, you've lost me. It's wild. And it's so interesting because the beginning of this year, I'm in a completely different place from the yeah, beginning of 2020 right. to where I am now. At the time of this recording, it's December 21st, 2020, which is awesome. You've got like accelerated evolution, oh my you know, gosh. the stuff that takes 10 people, 10 people, 10 years to go through, you've got it all in 10 months. Hey, oh, I don't know what I did last lifetime. So we'll, we'll see, yeah. you know, who knows, maybe this is my hundredth life. And so it's almost like about time who knows anymore. So maybe I, it's not even like I got lucky in this lifetime. I got it all now. Maybe this is, maybe this is my last lifetime. Who knows? We never know. But something that is interesting, and this will be my segue into my next question. We're going to get even more esoteric guys is I was working at this place in Chicago and uh, I connected with someone that I worked there with. And uh, it was a platonic relationship. And it's just funny because their name was actually also Ryan, which is mm. interesting. And we only had a really deep conversation for two days. And I haven't spoken to them since because the place that I work at hasn't reopened. So it's very interesting how people are placed in your life sometimes. And you have this really deep, profound connection with them. And then you just never talk to them again. It's crazy how that happens. And so me and this person, his name was also Ryan. We had this really deep, profound connection and we were texting and talking and it was great. And the moment that he lost me was when he told me that his fiance would channel with her alien helper and she would have these conversations. And I remember when I got that text from him and I looked at it and I was like, Oh, he just went there. And I was like, oh, he's crazy, crazy. I judge, completely judging. I was right, like, oh, right, he's crazy, crazy. But he was vulnerable. Again, this was a platonic relationship, but he was being vulnerable. And he's like, oh yeah, my girlfriend channels with her alien and whole paragraph. And I looked at it and I was like, do, 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 do. I was like, oh no. Loon alert. Yes. Loon alert. Yeah. And, and, and I remember thinking to myself, like, how do I respond to this? Like... 
His girlfriend talks to aliens. This is weird. I don't know what to do. This is, I didn't know. I just did not believe it. Did not believe it. Didn't even, I just could not wrap my head around it. Now, fast forward, it is December, 2020. Now I'm like, okay, there's five that the government works with. There's the Palladians. There's the this. Okay, I'm following these accounts. I'm like all for it. I'm like, there's the Grace. There's the Reptilians. David, I've gone down all these rabbit holes. Part of me wants to like text this guy back and be like, dude, I am so sorry. I totally believe you. Like your girlfriend's awesome. You know what I mean? And so my segue question to you now, and it's ironic that your name is also Ryan. You have an alien helper. Can you tell our audience all about this and just how did this happen? The floor is yours. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so as a med, I teach meditation. I teach Buddhism for the most part and, and non-duality awakening, all of that. So this aspect of my story is not something that I actually lead with. It's not something that I is a part of what I present to people, but it is a part of my story and I don't hide it when I'm asked about it. I talk about it and I have shared it to make a disclaimer or just to, to create some context around this. Historically, we all know about angels. We've all heard about demons, different kinds of entities that are in the Bible and in the various religious texts, even to touch on the reptilian conspiracy that David Icke is so well known for. That's actually a class of being in Hinduism and Buddhism. They're called Nagas. So not a lot of people know this, but when you become a Buddhist monk in Theravada, at least one of the questions you're asked is, I think it's, I believe it's Anusosi. And it basically means it, it, it's a blatant question. They ask you, are you a human or Manusosi? Manu is man. So Manusosi, are you a human? Why do they ask you that? <laughs> because there are things in this world that are not human. So the story goes back to a time in, in early Buddhism, or I think in the Buddha's day maybe afterwards when a monk was trying to ordain and this monk happened to be a Naga that shapeshifted into a monk to ordain because the Buddhist teachings are very exalted. They lead to spiritual realization and awakening. So all kinds of devas and, and deities and beings want to, want to, they want to experience this stuff. They want to know this knowledge from this highly awakened person that apparently when he woke up, like the deva world trembled or the angelic kingdom trembled and all the beings wanted to see the teachings of this great sage. There are many kinds of beings in the universe. There are many classes of beings in, in samsara. And the ones that we are most familiar with are the ones that are in the texts. Angels, demons, the things that are written about Gabriel, Michael, Raphael, that stuff. Mostly from the Western pantheon, if you're, if you live in America or if you're in the New Age. But in the Eastern tradition, there's all kinds of beings. There's Nagas, there's Garudas, which are like eagle-type beings. and in Buddhist cosmology, all these beings have their specific realms and dimensions that, that they exist in. So I will say this, what I'm about to talk about specifically is something that I have actually lived through. This is not a conceptual thing. I don't even make money off of this as particular aspect of the story. I'm not trying, I don't want, I'm not trying to get attention for this particular part of my life. That's not what it is. I just teach meditation. I share this wisdom. I share this presence. I share this wakefulness and whatever comes of that. That's basically what I do. This specific aspect of the story is not necessarily in the forefront, but it is a part of the story. When I was about 22, um, I think 22, 23, 
I met this teacher that I no longer follow. And when I met her, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing worse than the only thing worse than a charlatan. The only thing worse than a fake is a spiritual teacher who isn't fake and has bad intentions. There's nothing worse than someone who actually has ability and uses it in ways that are questionable. So I followed this teacher. I was very just blown away by her psychic abilities. Just to be clear, I had met her and she was able to see into my past and she saw, and she doesn't, no one knows, no one knew this at the time. She's like, yeah, you had this experience with, and sense this alien frequency inside of you. You've encountered this specific being. And at first I was like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're saying. And then it clicked. And then I remembered, oh, that's what she's talking about. I had an encounter with this, with this being, I've been doing, I've been practicing, uh, astral projection out of body experiences from a young age, like 16, seven, or yeah, since the beginning, pretty much like 17. And oftentimes people who do that a lot and have more experience with that, they encounter beings that actually help with the astral projection process and help with the development in that specific, um, area of your spiritual awakening. If that's something that a person does and is a part of their path for a lot of people, it's not, but oftentimes at the beginning, the, the beings that are helping you get out of body, sometimes they're human, sometimes they're not. So a lot of people report that you could disbelieve it, whatever, take it or leave it. But so she mentioned this whole thing and I was just blown away. There's just no way that she could know that. No way that anyone could know that. Cause I didn't tell anyone except Ricardo. He's the only person who knows about that. And yeah. And she said that thing is a very, very precious energy or it's a very precious specific, I guess, gift or blessing that I had. And so I did the, I did her training and I actually spent quite a bit of time with her and her group. And after about a year of doing that meditation a couple hours every day, I had this experience of falling asleep around midnight or something. And what happens is that as you fall asleep, usually our, we lose consciousness. And then, so we have no awareness of going into the dream state or even of the astral body separating from the physical body that most people don't remember that unless they specifically cultivate this ability. And what happened was, yeah. So you're, you're watching your body fall asleep since these chemicals releasing body, the whole body goes numb, goes to sleep. And then boom, the astral projection vibrations start. So there's an actual vibrational state that happens when a person leaves their body and people can experience it in sleep paralysis. It's terrifying to a lot of people. Yeah. You've had yeah. your experience with it. Massive vibrations. Like you could not make this up. <laughs> this is like tons of energy, tons of light. And sometimes it's like passing through the thought field or something and you can hear all these thoughts and all these voices. It's crazy. But as soon as, as soon as a person breaks through, or as soon as a person gets more familiar with the, with this experience, all of those, I would say side effects or all of that phenomena stops like later in a, in a person's development, they don't have the, they don't even experience the vibrations anymore. They just click from this body to the next one, click and they're in. So. When this was happening, I noticed the vibrational state and wow, this is, this is amazing telling this story. The couple of weeks before that I was receiving this name in meditation 
and the name just kept coming and it's an islamic name and i'm a buddhist so i have no affiliation with that i was like this name sounds very you know islamic and i just kept coming up just kept coming up and i as soon as the vibrational state comes for whatever reason i said the name i said the name and then boom like this portal open in the astral plane right above the body in the ceiling and i was just blasted through this basically wormhole so a lot of people describe this in near-death experiences they leave the physical body and then there's this tunnel of light mm -hmm. and at the end of the tunnel they're greeted by their loved ones and there's this whole experience that is incredibly common and just uniform across pretty much all cultures they describe different beings and different entities related to their religion but the tunnel of light the separation of the physical body that's all there so this happens in astral projection as well and out-of-body experiences going through this tunnel and it's like moving through hyperspace really all of you who've seen star wars who have seen 2001 a space odyssey stanley kubrick when he yeah basically when the millennium falcon is moving through hyperspace it's a feeling like that just like massive movement through space time very quickly and suddenly i'm in this other place and it looked like being in a desert in Tucson, Arizona, but the sediment was blue-green, which doesn't exist on Earth. There's no blue-green desert on our world. So the sky was dark and the sediment kind of had this blue-greenish glow to it. And I turned to the left and I just never seen anything like that in my life. Never, wow. ever seen a non-human intelligence in my life. I turned and there he was. This being had humanoid features and lo and behold, yeah, it, it was definitely the thing, the being that had appeared many years ago, saved me in a situation, a very dire, serious situation. It was him. And he had the yeah, humanoid features. So humanoid features, no hair and the interesting thing about that dimension is that on our material dimension, we have blood, we have bones, we have the five elements, and we have a brain that is basically the antenna for consciousness. And this being seemed to be made of like a kind of cosmic energy that glowed through his body. And you could see it emanating from the lines on his body and the lines on his face. And the communication was telepathic. And he just said, oh. Interesting that you're here. And I didn't know what to say. I was just so shocked to see yeah. that wasn't from Earth. And he just, wow. you should go back to your world. And I said, okay. <laughs> and as, soon as, I said, as soon as I said, okay, it was like, it was like the rubber band letting go. And then bam, you're like, you just go way back through the portal and slammed into the physical body. And you wake up and you're like, what was that? So definitely that was my first encounter with a non-human intelligence. I, I, have, I, don't, I, mean, I have a quick question for those listening that are like, okay, wait a minute, hold up. How do you know that wasn't a dream? What's the thing with dreams? With dr Dreams are generally created by, or there's lots of aspects of dreams that have to do with your ordinary life. Even if it's like a kind of artistic and very surrealistic dream, it's still made of things that are, a part of your concept 
a part of your a part of your reality. There's things that are recognizable. The things this particular experience was absolutely beyond any kind of thing I had ever seen. It was beyond conception. And the thing too is that I've had so many out of body experiences. They're different than dreams. So you can go into the dream state and your consciousness can transfer from the dream state to the astral body. You could actually astral project from a lucid dream. And so what can oh, happen wow. to, and so what can happen to some people is a guide, a helper, or a master can appear in a lucid dream and or in a dream and touch you. And as soon as they touch you, the astral projection vibrations start in the dream. And then you actually ascend out of the dream into the physical body that's in the room you're sleeping in and then astral body out of the physical body. So there's an actual progression of consciousness that you become attenuated to. And that's how it's different from a dream. So the similarities are that the way that memories are processed is the same. So if you have a, if you have an out of body experience and you don't remember it, it's the same as if not having it really. So like you, you can have an out of body experience and then remember it like halfway through the day in the same way that you could remember a dream. Cause there's this thing that Robert Bruce calls the mind split effect. When you return from the astral body, the way that those memories and that the way that experience is transferred is the same way that you would recollect the dream. So. Okay. I guess my next question is if you don't remember leaving your body, is it then a lucid dream? Because isn't a lucid dream the fact that you, I thought the definition of a lucid dream, because I've had two lucid dreams and only one lucid dream that was long enough that I could actually move around and experience it. One lucid dream, the moment I realized that it was over. So I thought the definition of a lucid dream was that it means you become conscious of the fact that you're dreaming and you don't wake up from it. And so it's when you're dreaming and yes. things don't make sense. And then you wake up and you're like, oh, that was such a silly dream. Like how dumb am I in the dream to not realize it was a dream? And so I thought lucid dreaming means you're conscious of the fact that you're dreaming. That is lucid dreaming. So right. I'm saying, so what's I'm the saying difference it's a difference. between that and astral projection. So astral projection is defined by the vibrational state and you're actually in, yeah. And you're actually in the astral body. And when you act, when you enter it, you're usually in your bedroom, unless you've just projected straight out and you're in and you're in another place but the difference is that the vibrational state happens in astral projection got um, it and so you can and, actually move around and see your physical body yes exactly exactly whereas you're having a dream and you're in some random location and you realize that you're dreaming because you could go from that to actually projecting so you know that there's a difference between these two realities between these two states and, and the thing too, with astral projection, like I said, there's a separation process that happens that changes over time for people, but there's still generally a separation process. Gotcha. And in both instances, your conscious though, is what's moving, right? So like basically in astral projection, your physical body's still in the bed, but your consciousness is what's moving. Is that the same for lucid dreaming? Yeah. This is the thing about lucid dreaming is I don't know. I don't actually know where the lucid dream takes place necessarily like it could actually be that the consciousness has transferred to the astral body and the astral body is floating above the physical body and the mm. dreams and the dream state is actually taking place in the astral consciousness but the body but the astral body hasn't gone out and it's just floating out. above yeah exactly so people who are clairvoyant and have observed this say cats and animals and dogs also do this if you're able to see the subtle body, you could see that as soon as they sleep, there's this 
astral body that basically comes out of the physical body. And there's some functions that are happening in that subtle body. And that could be where dreaming takes place. I just don't, I'm not absolutely certain of that. Gotcha. Wow. It's all very fascinating. Now, are you in a place now where you're able to connect with this being on command or what is your relationship with this being now? The thing about it is a lot of these guides or some people call them, some people have angels, some people have non-human intelligences that, that are basically helpers in their life. Socrates had what is called his daemon. So there was a, an entity, a, a spiritual figure that appeared in Socrates' life and had guided him. And that, that daemon was there even when he died and drank the hemlock poison, he was in the room. So it's like you're, apparently there's a main spiritual helper for a lot of people. And there are some magic texts that particularly address this. There's the sacred magic or the Abramelin ritual, which is in the Western magic tradition. And the whole goal of that is to pray for 18 months and it's in the Christian Judeo tradition. So what happens is at the end of the 18 months, this angel basically appears and that's your holy guardian angel, like your specific, the specific guy that has been ordained to you as a result of that work. So people have different experiences with this stuff. And there are people who do channeling. And Bashar is one example of that. He channels a specific being and that has specific teachings that are related to that. But as far as my experience with this being, I don't think that's, I don't see the relationship developing in that capacity, going to being a channeler and, you know, sharing the specific teachings that belong to where that being is from. Okay. The stuff, the stuff that like when people channel the Arcturians and people mm -hmm. channel this and that, the Pleiadians, they're sharing the wisdom from that dimension and from those beings with the people here. And that mm -hmm. helps with the spiritual evolution and, and the unfolding. So there's different lessons that I've learned from this being and specific things that I've been put through in the astral plane and even in my life. And, but it's not that channeling type of relationship. And more often than not, he's helped a lot of friends, actually, like I had a friend who was getting involved with a particular entrepreneur who's now in jail. And when he was in the room with me, I was just laying, I was sleeping in the chair and then boom, the vibrational state hits me at three in the morning. And there's this message that says, tell Ramon to stay away from that guy. And wow. that guy gets, gets arrested a month later and it could have been, it could have been a serious situation. So other times I, and, and it's interesting, this is a thing that I wanted to, to touch on too, is when we get this information in out of body experiences, or even in channeling, we have to be careful because there's a difference between the raw data as it is. There's a difference between the raw experience and our interpretation right. of the experience. There's a difference between the actual psychic insight and the interpretation of the insight. So I was in, I was out of body in this place and it seemed like a dimension similar to earth. There were houses or maybe an alternate timeline. And I was just walking through the houses and there was this door with a candle on the knob. There's like a little wooden platform and a candle and mm -hmm. on a front door. It's like, that doesn't exist in our world. You know, never seen that before. And then suddenly I look to the wall and there's this writing that appears and the writing says blue death. And then the name, uh, blue death. And then I hear the name of a friend 
and I am, and this friend's a healer. So I immediately go to him and I'm like, Hey, this thing happened out of body. And I think I'm getting a warning from, from the non-human intelligence that something's related to blue death. Is, is something going to happen to me? Blah, blah, blah. And he's, and he's okay. Yeah. Do, do some meditation. You should be fine. And that's it. 45 days later, he goes to China, contracts a respiratory illness. This was before COVID. So he got some kind of respiratory illness. He was in the hospital. His CO2 levels were shooting through the roof because of the respiratory infection and causing a specific condition that people call blue death. It's like when the CO2 gets too high in the blood and there's an asphyxiation and the face turns blue and all that. And it's called, some people call it blue death. So when I got the data that said blue death, that person's name, it wasn't referring to me going to that person right. for help. It was literally referring to the person. So this happens a lot. And this is why I take channeled material with a grain of salt. I get that there are channels that channelers that are very, they're very sure of themselves, but I really know that even psychics that were really spot on a lot of the time that I've known and trained and been, been with that they were wrong. They're wrong often. They're oftentimes they were wrong and oftentimes they were right. So it just depends on the skill and the capacity of the channeler or the skill and the capacity of that particular teacher. But yeah, that's how that's manifested, particularly for me. It's just been a very, you know, it tends to be that these beings, they don't operate in space and time the way that we do. We see time is very linear and mm -hmm. we're limited to the senses and our bodies the thing about spiritual perception and about waking up is that field of perception begins to expand and you can start to dream of things before they happen or hear another person's thought, or you have experience with psychokinesis. This is all like that field of that, that possibility expanding and that potential expanding and your senses and your mind really extending beyond the limitations that they previously had. These beings, a lot of them, particularly the non-human intelligence that I'm referring to, and even beings that are more exalted than him, they see time and space very differently. It's like time and space, it, a person's incarnation, a whole person's life is like a gem to them. And they can pick up that gem and see all the facets, all the possibilities, all the thoughts, all the obstacles, all the things that you're going to do and become. They pick it up like that and they can just see it. Hmm. And they can see, oh, this little facet here, maybe I can help in that situation. You know, so okay. they experience time very differently um, than we do. And I've gotten glimpses of that being with these, with these non-human intelligences. And the, the other thing I wanted to, to bring up as well is when I was out of body in this, in this place, I don't know where it was, it was a here's dimension world. What I found and what I saw was there are these types of facilities, like training centers, like mm -hmm. spiritual training centers and humans were there. So humans in their astral bodies or a higher bodies, I don't know, were training in these facilities in a place mm -hmm. that's not on earth. And they were doing meditation, martial arts, psychic abilities, that sort of thing. And all of them are sleeping. So none of them know that they're actually there but they are there, their subtle body, their consciousness is there. And I'm there with the inspect, the non-human intelligence. And we're wa I'm watching. And it became so clear to me as like, oh, okay. This is why some people are so drawn 
to the new age or drawn to specific alien groups or drawn to specific teachings is because their spiritual bodies, their higher spiritual bodies are actually spending time are actually receiving teachings from those beings, from that place, from that dimension, just that the memories don't transfer because of the mind split effect. So what does transfer are the inclinations. What does transfer are the impulses and the interest in that specific teaching and that specific group. And this applies for the different religions too, like Christianity, Judaism, Islam. You could actually be spending time out of body, like studying those teachings. You're just not aware of it because the mind, because of the mind split effect and those memories not transferring. So a lot of the gifts that people are waking up to, a lot of the inclinations that you have, a lot of the impulses that you have, a lot of the knowledge and insights that are coming to you are things that you've already done in another place and in another time, but they're just waking up. It's a part of an unfolding that's happening now, but let's say, for example, uh, mind reading is something that begins to awaken for you or remote viewing. That's happening on this linear level of reality. And what you don't know is you have made, you may have already been practicing that in a non-physical body with beings that happen to be skilled in that specific, in that specific ability. So that's something I actually saw. That's not, that wasn't. <laughs> that I, have, wasn't I, I have a quick question for you while we're on that topic, because one, I had a, the lucid dream that I had was actually me being in a, I don't know, it could be a training facility. I'm not sure. I, I told you about this dream. And basically I was in a waiting area getting ready to enter the training facility. Or it could have been, I don't know. I just know it was a waiting area. There were a lot of people there and I felt like I was on some kind of mission. That's, I remember I woke up and just was, I just was so excited. I had this lucid dream because I remember touching the counter and I was like, oh my God, I'm dreaming. Let me take everything in. I had that experience. I guess my question for you is if that's the case and we're all getting these inclinations and we're trying to, the whole point of our life is to remember who we are and that we've always been here in this whole concept. How come we're all getting different inclinations? How come we're all getting drawn to different things? Some are Muslim, some are Christian, some are spiritual. How come we're all not waking up to the same thing? Are we all plugged into different training centers on different planets from different beings? What is your uh, thought on that? Yeah, I would say that's actually pretty accurate. We're all from different places, but not specifically alien. I'm not saying that everyone has like this alien heritage or anything like that, or that's where they're, that's where they're from. That's where some, that's where it seems that some people are from, or that's what they're that's what they're drawn to. But it seems that just like in America, you have humans that are from different parts of the country that have their lineages and ancestors from different parts of the world. There's different parts of the universe of the cycle of existence that your basically your soul or your previous incarnations are from. If you were from another place where space time was completely different from this world, you know, where, for example, there was no capitalism, there was no free market, there was no need to work because that, right. that existence was so exalted. That was all provided for right. everyone was in, kind of, in, in this kind of unity consciousness. And then you're born on earth for whatever reason, you decide to go here, you forget your, your decision to come here. And then this whole life just doesn't make sense for you. Like working, like just working continuously for someone else doesn't make sense to you. The division doesn't make sense to you. The violence doesn't make sense to you. The ego doesn't make sense to you. It's because you're, you're not actually, you're not actually used to that. Never considered that.
Never considered that perspective. You just blew my mind away. Wow. Yeah, I was reading uh, about star seeds and children. I'm going to do a solo podcast episode about this because I see people's Instagram. They're like, I'm an indigo child and I'm a this. And like, I had no idea what that meant. I'm going to be really honest with you. I, I had no clue what that meant. It just sounded really cool. I'm a crystal child. I'm a this yeah. child. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. And so I was doing research on it. And I came across this article and it, it said that a certain tribe in Africa, they did this like experiment and they, they had a group of school children. They said, if you race to the tree, there's a pot of candy and whoever races to the tree and gets to the candy first, will get to have all the candy. And the kids are like, oh, cool. School children. Okay. Ready, set, go. And the kids start running. And so midway through the race, the kids look at one another and they hold hands and they all run in unison to the tree together. And then they sit down and they all enjoy the candy together. And so they asked the kids, they were like, why did you guys do that? Why didn't you just race? And one of you would have won and had all the candy for yourself. And the kids were really confused. They're like, why would we do that? Then one person would be happy and the rest of us would be sad. At least now we're all going to be happy together and we can enjoy it together. And I was, and I read that and I was like, okay, I'm going to go over there and cry now. First of all, like that's such a beautiful story, but also just the takeaway of just like the mindset, because we've been so conditioned to just win and compete. And so even though my personal view is definitely capitalism, I don't think socialism is sustainable, but in theory, what those school children did is very beautiful. And it makes yep. sense. Everybody gets to have candy. It's community. It's socialism in essence. And so what you just said blew my mind away because for the first time, I can really have empathy for people that are social justice warriors. I can see where their at- intent is coming from. Like I get it. Healthcare for all. Like I get it. You just want everybody to have a slice of the pie. I understand it. So it's just very interesting that you put forth that perspective because from a spiritual point of view, If you hypothetically reincarnated from a planet that was so advanced that no one ever had to work and everybody had everything provided for them, which is what socialism in a perfect world would be if it didn't lead to communism, right? Way to make this political. Then, right? Then it would make sense if you reincarnate here and you're just like, oh my God, capitalism, entrepreneurship, that's greedy. That's this. Oh my God. Redistribute, you know, redistribute the wealth. This doesn't make sense in my soul. This is wrong. People should be able to have healthcare. People should be able to go to call. It makes sense now. And that ideology from a spiritual perspective, never considered that. Yeah, exactly. Even if in your last life, you were in an age, you were an angel, you were, if you were just one level above the human dimension. Apparently there's just endless fruits in a lot of these places. You live a really long time. You have a really great life. That's why in Buddhism, particularly in a lot of the Eastern religions, they say that incarnating as a human is so valuable. It's Mm. so rare because it's only Mm. in a life that is riddled with suffering that you're really able to turn inward and awaken spiritually and become involved with path. Because the thing is, if you're in, even on earth, if you have a really great life, if you have all the wealth, if you're royalty, you don't really have much, I guess there's some suffering that can happen that could make you turn inward, but you're more likely to have a spiritual awakening when you're just a regular person 
going through the ups and downs of life. If you're, if you have everything and if life is always just pleasure all the time, what happens is that you're just engrossed in the pleasure. Right. You know, and, that, and that's how it is in some of these places. And that's why Buddhism and the other sects say human birth is absolutely precious because you can really cultivate here. In other places, the existences are just so incredible. Their pleasure is so exalted that there's no reason to want to turn inward. But when we have suffering, so many people, like I would bet eight out of 10 people on this call, maybe even nine, had a spiritual awakening as a result of some kind of major shift that happened in their life. Go through a divorce, three, three years later, you have a spiritual awakening. Lose all your money, six months later, you have a spiritual awakening. What, why is it that happens? It's because there's some kind of, karma is so complex, there's so many calculations that happen. And when the conditions are right, that awakening starts to actually occur. And I'm, I'm going to share a story that, that I heard from another story that I heard from Ricardo about a, a teacher, a uh, person went to this guy, this master who was able to judge you know, a very clairvoyant teacher. And the guy asked him, should I put my money in Bitcoin? And this is a lot of money, like a million. And this was at the time when Bitcoin was really high. And the teacher said, yeah. Go for it. So the guy put all of his money in Bitcoin, uh -huh. lost everything. Wow. And the teacher's response, the teacher to the teacher, he said that loss was a karmic mitigation that had to happen. You had to go through that because it actually circumvented something very serious that was going to happen. Mm. And now, and, and can you still have faith? in your practice, in your path. And of course there's charlatans and people that are fake, right? But a genuine master really can see these things. Yeah. Like that's just an example of that. There, there are things that happen in our lives that we don't particularly understand. The thing that is really good seems to be really good. could actually be bad for you. And the thing that seems to be the worst thing that you've ever gone through happens to be the best thing that is happening for you on a cosmic, from a cosmic perspective. Very true. On that note. I have so much more to ask you, but I want to end this episode on that note because I think we we covered a lot of great topics. And so for those of you listening, definitely tune into part two of this conversation. We're going to talk about manifestation. I want to get your point of view on that. We're going to talk about your relationship to magic and what got you into that, which is awesome. And definitely those listening that are curious about that and the difference between white magic and black magic and all of that. Then I want to definitely go down. Which, the I've, reti which I've retired from, but yeah. Yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, and then, of course, I want to talk about Buddhism and then just where your life is headed and what you're doing now. And of course, you know, how people can get in touch with you. So let's end on that. So if everybody can definitely go listen to your podcast. So you have a podcast that talks about not as esoteric of topics as my podcast, but let everybody know where they can listen to your podcast and a little bit about that as well. Yeah, my podcast, I interview spiritual teachers, masters, experts in that specific arena. And of course, there are things that I teach and things that I share on that podcast as well. There's a lot of talks that I do with my friend Ricardo that are on the podcast and we answer live questions and comments that we get from our students and from people online. The episode, the talks with Ricardo are awesome and the guests are, are absolutely incredible. I've had fantastic people that have just been meditating their whole lives and all different kinds of guests. So people who are experts with out-of-body experience, 
this guy's a guy who goes to Vegas and uses psychokinesis to win at slot machines, a lady who did a year long meditation retreat and had a, and had an awakening. It's just, it's everything. Very cool. Awesome. And then if uh, anybody wants to stay in touch with you and your journey, if you're watching this on my YouTube channel, I'm just going to put that up on the screen, but Instagram at ryan.jburton. And then if you're interested in coaching, let everybody know where they can find you and what you include. Yeah, you can find me at ryanjburton.com. I teach meditation for different companies and different schools. And I also do personal meditation coaching as well. So if there's some kinks that you want to knock out in your practice or <laughs> you really want to, for example, a question I get all the time is how do I get out of duality? How do I get out of ego and self? So if you have questions like that and you want someone who might have, you know, a bit more experience than you in, in this specific field and endeavor, you can book a 15 minute consultation call with me. It's totally free. We'll just talk and see where you're at and where you want to go. And yeah, if we vibe, and are compatible. So awesome. I love that you use the word vibe. <laughs> Very cool. I appreciate you. And yeah, I'm excited to get into those other topics and we'll see everyone in part two. If you are listening and you're interested in a meditation coaching session with Ryan, please take a screenshot of this episode and tag Vibe Talk Awaken as well as Ryan.jburton. And please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you thought, if this uh, episode brought you any value, your takeaways, and we will send you a free session so you can experience working with him firsthand. I know whenever he has done a guided meditation, I feel more relaxed. I feel more present, more centered. I know that whenever I'm around him, he pushes me to look at all angles and just question things and that in turn has elevated my own consciousness and i'm a big believer that you know whoever you surround yourself with you really that's who you become and so i feel very fortunate to have him as a close friend and so thank you guys for listening i appreciate you all sending you so much love and until next time mm -hmm.